A reading from the Gospel of John. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He's from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God who has come into the world. After she had said this, she went back and called her sister Mary aside. The teacher is here, she said, and is asking for you. When Mary heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Now Jesus had not yet entered the village, but was still at the place where Martha had met him. When the Jews who had been with Mary in the house comforting her noticed how quickly she got up and went out, they followed her, supposing she was going to the tomb to mourn there. When Mary reached the place where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. Then the Jews said, see how he loved him? But some of them said, could not he who opened the eyes of the blind man have kept this man from dying? Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there is a bad odor, for he has been there four days. Then Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Then Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I know that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he had said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. The word of the Lord. Well, good morning. My name's Paul. I'm the lead pastor here at the DI Fellowship. 
Uh, Before we jump into this passage, I want to make a couple of introductions to our community this morning. If I could have Taylor and Rachel Roney stand. Taylor, who's been leading us in worship this morning with Wes and the others, is joining us as our new director of worship. So they will be moving. Thank you so much. They will be moving in mid-December from Atlanta, Georgia, to join us. We're so excited. And we announced also another uh, new team member last week. But for those who missed last week, I want to announce him and his bride again. That's Drew and Laura Hensley. If you could stand. Drew, Drew, they have just moved from Seattle to join our team and to serve as our pastor of discipleship. We're so thankful and excited. God is moving mightily in our church, and I hope you can sense that. Let's dive into his word this morning. As we do so, why don't you uh, bow your heads with me as I share one more brief word of prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. And in the oldest prayer of the church, I pray, come, Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of my message this morning is Don't Miss the King. And we've been making our way through the book of Acts. We're going to hit pause on that series because today is an important day as we head into an important season known as Advent. We'll unpack what today is in just a few minutes, but I want to begin with this question. How are you at saying goodbye? This week was a beautiful and very difficult week for me and for many of us in our church. If my memory is correct, it is the first time we have lost one of our members to death. And I have a picture of that member, Roger Strait, uh, here in his Clemson shirt. He used to sit at the 9 a.m. service up here in the front uh, right-hand side of our sanctuary. And that's his daughter, Mickey, Mickey Ramey, and his granddaughter, Allie Ann. And so three generations would worship every week together here in the front. It was a beautiful thing. And I got to know Roger about six years ago when he moved to Charleston to play a part in his grandkids' lives. And it just so happens that John and Mickey Ramey live right behind us on Daniel Island. So shortly after Roger moved here, I met him, and he wasn't just a a father and a grandfather. He was a friend to me. I would see him in the alley because he was always babysitting his grandkids or their little puppy, and he'd say, hey, preacher man. I'd say, hey, Roger. And he'd say, what are you preaching on this week, preacher man? And I'd share And he he would ask me, how are you? How's your family? I mean, just goodness oozed out of this man. Here's a picture that was shared this week at his funeral. This is Roger throwing JT. JT's now 18 years old. But you can see the joy in JT's face and the joy in Roger's face as he's thrown into the air in the pool. Roger was a good man. He was a gentle man. And what's interesting is about nine days ago, I was sitting in the hospital with Roger as cancer was eating up his body. And I was 
as he, I was getting ready to leave the hospital room, he said, Pastor, can I talk to you about death? I don't get that question often. And he wanted to talk about his death. He said he had prepared for his death. He had written his obituary to serve his wife so she wouldn't have to worry about that. And he passed along a scripture to me to use at the funeral. He is very stealthy, <laughs> crafty. You see, Roger left his family a scripture to serve as an important message in this important moment in their lives. He actually shared uh, Psalm 25, which reads, um, Psalm 25, 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth in my rebellious ways. According to your love, remember me. For you, Lord, are good. Now, why did he share this? Well, I think it's clear. I think he was saying to his family and friends for the funeral, if you're going to miss me, make sure you don't miss him. My goodness is God's goodness. If in any way you're going to miss me, don't in any way miss him. You catch it? Very crafty, very beautiful. And today is a special day. It's the end of the church year. We say goodbye to this calendar year. It's the end of the liturgical cycle, if you will, for the church. Next week, we launch into Advent, which means coming. We look to the coming of Jesus at Christmas, right? So today is called Christ the King Sunday. And it's an important moment to remember an important message for all of us. And what's that message? I think it's this. As we turn towards Advent, we're called to not only celebrate a baby, but to celebrate a king. Let me repeat that. As we turn towards Advent, we are called to not only celebrate a baby, but to celebrate a king. What kind of king? Well, as our passage from John 11 illustrates, Jesus is the king of the broken heart. Jesus is the king of the tangled mind. Jesus is the king of the darkest hour or the darkest night. He's many other things, but from our passage, this is what we'll take away today. So point one, Jesus is the king of the broken heart. The passage begins, Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. And then later in the passage we read, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. And when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. You see, much like the Ramey family, they were here at 9 a.m., the sisters had lost a loved one. They had lost their brother to sickness and death. And the sisters had cried out, but not cried out, but not been helped out by Jesus. 
They were in deep agony on multiple levels. Deep pain. And I think as we enter into the holiday season, I don't know about you, but it triggers pain for some of us. We look around our Thanksgiving tables or living rooms and we wonder who's missing. We grieve who we've lost. We grieve unmet dreams and longings. Frederick Beekner says this about family. You can kiss your family and friends goodbye and put miles between you, but at the same time, you carry them with, carry them with you in your heart, your mind, and your stomach because you do not just live in a world, but a world lives in you. And you see, for uh, the sisters, part of their world inside of them was dying. Can you relate? Have you ever had a pain or an agony so strong, it's not just in your mind or heart, but it's in your very gut where you're physically struggling, shaking, grieving? I found this to be the case even for me this last week at Roger's funeral as I led the funeral. You see, it wasn't just that I was losing Roger as a friend and as a, a brother in Jesus. It triggered back memories of my own grandparents, especially my grandfathers. Both of my granddads were alcoholics. They weren't present in our lives. One was estranged. My grandmother had to divorce him. He was abusive, alcoholic. I didn't even get to go to his funeral. The other I only saw, honestly, around Thanksgiving or Christmas. And so as we were burying Roger, I couldn't help but think of that specific grandfather and what it felt like to, to not only lose him, but never even have him. Can you relate to that? Where, where these longings for family, they're just never fully met. Uh, and then you, you might lose those where you do have a deep connection. And you see with the sisters, just as the sisters begin to give up hope, that's when Jesus shows up. And what's the very first thing Jesus does? He weeps. He weeps. Our passage says, when Jesus saw her, Mary, weeping, and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. And Jesus wept. You see, Jesus is the king of the broken heart. Jesus is the king of your broken heart. What brokenness are you carrying in here today? And does Jesus care? The answer is yes. The application under point one is pretty easy. We can cry out with all of our pain to Jesus because he cares for us. He cares for you, whatever you're carrying in today. Point number two, Jesus is the king of the tangled mind. I want to lighten the, the mood in the room. It's kind of heavy right now, so let's, let's lighten the mood. How many boaters do we have in the room today, or maybe former boaters? Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Okay. Audience participation's good. Okay. How many times have some of you gone out on a boat and forgot to put in the plug? Raise your hand. Jason, Rob, Jerry. Okay, 
How many times have some of you gone to the boat ramp with your boat and forgotten the key to the boat? Raise your hand. Christopher. Yes, Brad. How many times have some of you been stuck on the water and your battery dies? Raise your hand. Okay. Jason, you're almost at 100%. How about this? How many of you have found yourself in this quandary, a rope wrapped around a propeller? Raise your hand. Yes, more hands. You see, where I'm from in Florida, we not only would sometimes get ropes wrapped in the prop, we'd also get weeds. We'd get right up in the weeds. We have any bass fishermen in the house today? We'd get um, weeds wrapped up in the prop, and sometimes you'd try to go forward or go back, and it'd kick off some of the stuff. But I remember countless times having to jump into water and just cut out the rope or cut out the weeds from the, from the propeller. Why do I bring up a propeller? Well, I think, I think as I read about the sisters, they were confused with their theology. Their faith was tangled. They were trying to make sense of everything going on. You see, they had cried out to Jesus over and over again, and he didn't show up. Their prayers went unmet, unanswered. Have you ever felt yourself confused in your relationship with God? The passage says, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Come again? He loved Lazarus and the sisters, so he didn't respond. What is wrong with you, Jesus? What, what is wrong with this scripture? And we would later read that he, when he does show up, Lazarus has been in the tomb for four days. How does this add up? That's why Martha and Mary, frankly, they confront Jesus. They say, Lord, if you'd been here, my brother would not have died. Have you ever gotten so frustrated, so bent, up, bent, bent out of shape or tangled up where you're just not only crying out to Jesus, but you're saying, where were you? And the response of Jesus is profound. Listen to what he says. Jesus says, your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die do you believe this? You see, in the face of confusion, Jesus doesn't offer answers. He offers himself. There's great mystery in this sovereignty. In, in the face of our tangled minds and hearts, Jesus sometimes doesn't lead us to answers. He leads us to himself. You see, Jesus is the king of the tangled mind, not just the broken heart. And I think the application here is also clear. Even when we cannot see the way, Jesus is the way. And he says, Jonathan, Bobby, Rachel, Max, 
Trust me. In point three, Jesus is king of the darkest night. Jesus, once more deeply moved, came to the tomb. It was a cave with a stone laid across the entrance. Take away the stone, he said. But Lord, said Martha, the sister of the dead man, by this time there's a bad odor, for he has been there for four days. And Jesus said, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. And Jesus looked up and said, Father, I thank you that you've heard me. I knew that you always hear me, but I said this for the benefit of the people standing here, that they may believe that you sent me. When he said this, Jesus called in a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. And Jesus said to them, take off the grave clothes and let him go. You see, in our modern society of health and wealth, few of us know how to deal with death. That's just the truth. And I saw this at Roger's funeral this week. For two hours prior to the to formal funeral, they had a visitation with an open casket. I don't know if you've ever been to one of these visitations. But as a pastor, I stood back and I watched how people engaged with the moment in the family. I watched many members of this church go up to the casket and to the family, embrace them, hug them and hold them and say, I love you. If you need anything, let us know. I watched other people who are not a part of our church, a lot of friends of Rogers, they were from the senior center, they'd go play pool together. I think they just wanted to get away from their wives at times. They didn't say that, but it was pretty clear. They had this little club going on. But many of those people did not want to walk to the front of the room. This one man comes up to me and he says, you know, I'm so-and-so. I was a friend of Rogers and I love playing pool with him at the senior center. We're going to miss him dearly. I said, yeah, he was a great man. And he goes, my wife, she's in the back of the room. She doesn't do visitations. So she's just going to hang back there. And I said, that, that's fine. And I see this elderly woman hunched over in the back, just clammed up, bunched up with anxiety. We struggle making sense of death, don't we? The problem is, uh, death is not just a Lazarus problem, it's a human problem. It's our problem. In James chapter 1, we read, Each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it's fully grown, brings forth death. Paul writes to the Romans, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. He would later write, and the wages of sin is death. We're all facing death at some time. Even Lazarus, as he rose from the dead in this moment, he would die again. We're all facing this reality. That's why in the Old Testament, there was this prophecy, this promise of a Savior, of a Messiah. Hosea chapter 13, I will deliver this people from the power of the grave. I will redeem them from death. Where, O oh death, are your plagues? 
Where, O grave, is your destruction? I love how C.S. Lewis puts it. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people live. Do you believe this? And yet, as the story continues, I want you to note Martha's hesitation. She says, yes, Lord, I believe this. But then she says, but don't roll away the stone. There's going to be four days of stench and odor coming from there. And Jesus says, did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? And he rolls away the stone. I love how theologian F.D. Bruner puts it. An immovable object meets an irresistible force. Death meets Christ. Amen? You see, Jesus is the king of the darkest night. Jesus is the king of whatever you're walking in with. Whatever stench, whatever fear you're facing today. And the application for point three is this. There's no stone too big or no stench too strong for Jesus. In the face of shame and death, we can hope in him. Do you have this hope fully in him? In summary, as we turn towards Advent, we're called to celebrate and see not just a baby, but the king. Jesus is the king of your broken heart. Jesus is the king of your tangled mind. Jesus is the king of your darkest hour. And we need not be afraid. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's to come into the world. Has Jesus come fully into your world? If you're carrying any brokenness today as we close this time in prayer, I just invite you to extend your hands, palms up, and bring your brokenness to Jesus. He cares for you. If you're facing any confusion about this Christian thing and longing for answers, you might be frustrated. I would bring your frustrations, excuse me, your frustrations to him and seek his presence. And last but not least, if you're facing something shameful or even end of life worthy, maybe you've even lost someone, Jesus is the king of that darkness in that darkest closet, that darkest cavern in your soul. For some of you, it's time to finally say, yes, I believe. All of me, I believe. So let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, right now I pray that you would search this room and you would know all of us. For some of us carrying pain, deep pain like the sisters, we bring it before you 
And we say, Lord, be the king of our broken hearts this morning. For some of us facing confusion, tangled minds, God, we bring those minds, that confusion to you. Would you meet with us right here in your mystery, in your sovereignty to show you care for us and we can trust you that you don't always provide the answers, but you provide yourself. And God, some of us facing deep darkness, we come before you right now. We lay ourselves, we lay our anxiety, we lay our fears before you, especially in this holiday season, God. And we say you are the resurrection and the life. You've come to set us free. Have your way with us. For those in the room right now, that for the very first time, it's, it's time for you to say, yes, I believe. I invite you to silently repeat these words. Yes, Lord, I believe. I believe you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who's come into the world. Come into my, my world and be my Lord and my Savior right now. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.